But how do you go ahead and convey to other writers, you know what, you don't want fame. You want to be faithful. Just to convey to other writers that the ladder up can lead to really empty places, and it's the ladder always going lower that leads into the abundant life, which leads to more more of Jesus. Than Voskamp. She doesn't want you to end up in empty places. And we're all going to spend about 40 minutes or so together to make sure that doesn't happen. Welcome to Episode 8 of Season 2 of the Hope Writer Podcast. Whether you're a dreamer, a beginner, a longtime blogger, future author, or already published, if you want your writing to give others hope, welcome home. We want to give you hope. This episode, Ann Voskamp, Inside the Writer's Heart. Ann's new book is The Broken Way. Took about 10 minutes to become a New York Times bestseller, I think. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But someone said Ann Voskamp is a walking, talking heart with arms and legs. Uh, You'll see why in this episode. You'll see inside her heart. You'll see what practical writing time looks like for her. You'll see how she makes writing a low-pressure spiritual discipline. She'll share the writers that she loves and how they influence her writing. And you'll see the disadvantages and overwhelming challenge of a successful first book and more. That's coming up. The Hope Writer Podcast is brought to you by Hope Writers, an online membership community for writers of hope. We started Hope Writers because we know how lonely and overwhelming this writing life can be. Right now, you can go inside Hope Writers for a week for $1. Just visit hopewriters.com slash trial to join Hope Writers for one week for a buck. That's hopewriters.com slash trial. Your hosts on the podcast and at Hope Writers are sisters and authors Emily P. Freeman and Michael and Smith, marketing and tech guru Brian Dixon, who also writes books. I'm Gary Moreland, Michael and Emily's dad. My first book will be in bookstores next summer. In the previous episode of the Hope Writer podcast, you heard answers to the questions asked during the Hope Writer workshop in November. How to get more readers, how to start an online writing encouragement group, how blogging and book writing go together, ideas for helpful books and courses, and lots more. That was episode eight of season two. In this episode, Ann Voskamp shares inside the writer's heart why she doesn't read reviews of her work. Book signings and meeting her readers are really important to her too. Why? And, and this is great, she's going to help you see how to gather a safe community of people to help your writing life. And you'll even see how she does it. So let's start the conversation. Hey, Anne. Oh, it's so nice to land with like my favorite people in all the world. Yes. <laughs> Say it again, but slower. <laughs> I so mean it. I hate interviews. <laughs> with you guys on the calendar today, I'm like, oh, that doesn't even feel like an interview. I'm so looking forward to it. Oh, we're so glad you feel that way. <laughs> it's no. a chat. That's right. And it's, it's, it's like the best people ever. So I'm <laughs> thrilled. Are you all in the same space right now? We yep. are. We're all, they drove up from Charlotte to my house, and I live about an hour and a half north of Charlotte. So dad and Michael and I are all sitting at my desk in my sunroom and listening to your lovely voice. It's so exciting. I can close my eyes and I know exactly what that space looks oh, like. Yay. I'm, I'm so I love it. I know you just finished your book tour. Is this right? Yeah. yeah. And you're home now. I'm never leaving again, Emily. <laughs> Well, tell me this, how do you have any gauge? Because I know sometimes when I'm in a like a book signing line and I'm signing books, I just don't really have a sense of time. But I just have a feeling that your book signing lines are super long. Like, do you know if you had, what was your longest one? Do you know? 
Four and a half hours. I knew you would know. Wow. Four and a half And hours. I never sit down and I never have a table because it really is. You want you hug somebody and they, they, they've stewarded your story and they've been a safe place. You've trusted them with your, your words. And now they want to share their story with you. And now you get to steward their story. So to stand up and to greet them and to hug them and to listen well and to cry with them and hug them again. And it is, it's a process. <laughs> and there were times I had, um, Tom Dean is a VP of marketing at Zondervan and he wanted to hurry the line along because there's so many people. And like, no, it, when people flew in from states to stand in a line, you you want to honor that time well. So just to know, for everyone to know, if you'll be patient, I will get to you and you will get your space and time too. But I just, it is, it's an incredibly emotionally draining experience. And at the same time, it feels really holy that you get to see the Imago Day, the face of God in people. And you get to hear, I mean, God's writing masterpieces all over the world and you get to carry people's stories. So it was good. And I'm glad to be home. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do after a line like that? What does what does recovery look like for you? Oh, Emily, even just saying that, I want to burst into tears. <laughs> I take lots of pictures in the line, too, because I want to remember people and their stories. So usually in the car on the way back to the hotel, I go through people, go through the phone again, try to remember their names and their stories, because I think to write well, you need to carry other people's stories well. You need to know their faces so that when you're writing stories, you think, how would the tone of this strike them? How would this meet them? How would this resonate or not resonate with them? So usually it's processing their stories right afterwards. Usually I want a cup of hot, hot tea or a bowl of soup. I need comfort. Mm. (laughs) I need um, to curl in. I sleep really hard. It, It is. It's emotionally that you have absolutely nothing left. I think it's um, it's a, it's the ministry of presence, and you really just need to be completely all there. I can, in some ways, I find that easier as an introvert to be all there for one person than it is to walk into a room where you have to mingle and you don't know what the script is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm a lot better going, hi, where are you from? <laughs> um, I start to tell their story, right? And right. it just sort of unfolds from there. But like afterwards, I just... I want quiet and I want something hot (laughs) and I want a big fluffy pillow. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. We know what to serve you if you ever sign a book at our house. (laughs) Oh, I just want something hot. (laughs) hot. (laughs) Well, that see, that is it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I feel like you have a really, you have a really clear sense of your reader. And Mm. at least that's what it sounds like. And I would love it if, um, because in Hope Writers, a lot of times, we yeah. often talk about how we're not just writing about something, but we're writing oh. for someone. And yes. I'm so curious to know if if when you write your blog posts or right. chapters in books, whatever right. it is that you're writing, do you mm-hmm. have a specific reader in mind? The easiest, Emily, is to resonate with the reader who is most like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the readers are, but I remember I once... Um, I spoke at the C company um, in Arizona. It's a it's a division of Wycliffe. Um, and I got into an elevator to go up to my room. And there was a man in the elevator, and he, he shook my hand. He said that he had just celebrated his 87th birthday. 
coming to this event was part of celebrating his 87th birthday and how much he appreciated 1,000 gifts. And I just about fell over in the elevator because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I when I was writing that book, I wasn't thinking, does this resonate with an 87-year-old? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was much more cognizant writing about how does this sound outside of your own demographic, outside of your own story. And and this particular book signing in in Chicago, a young man came through and he would have been he would have been under 25. He had a thick, I would have said Liberian accent, um, a, a deep African accent. He was from Africa and he had come to the United States to go to university. And I thought he had accidentally wandered into the bookstore and, and they had said, oh, there's an author back there. Go get it. Your book <laughs> um, so I'm signing the broken way for him. And he said, I, I so appreciate your words. And I said, yes, very tentatively thinking, I have no idea if he knows what he's saying. And then he said, I, I have read 1000 gifts at least 10 times. Wow. And I thought, Oh Lord, <laughs> forgive me. So often I think I know who the reader is and I don't know who the reader is. And it just, it humbles me in really deep ways where I think when we write our stories, we just have to connect into the heart of God in really authentic, genuine ways and trust then that the Lord will take that story and move it across demographics (laughs) that you wouldn't guess in a million years. (laughs) So I think, um, I think I'm now much more aware. I think lots of times maybe as much as I had the reader in the box, I think I realized I had I just need to repent that I had God in a box somehow, that God would only use my words just for these people, as opposed to trust. If, I, if I'm really authentic, if I'm really raw and honest, both with God and with myself, maybe it will take it to a reader that I would never imagine. And I took pictures with a 13-year-old girl who read 1,000 Gifts, and a woman 93 who had read 1,000 Gifts. Wow. Um, so I think just realizing, and they were standing like within five people in a bookstore in Buffalo, and just realizing, you know what? If you write honest, I think that's the most important thing is to really write honest. That resonates regardless of demographic and regardless of age or gender. I think um, just being brutally honest with God and yourself and tearing back masks. And I think um, right in a way, I have Holly Girth's Girth's little plaque there that Don Camp made out in my writing cabin. (laughs) Um, You have to write in a way that scares you a little bit. I think laying your heart out, it is, it's a little bit terrifying when you realize, wait a second, I'd like to pull that back. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I think I was in Grand Rapids signing and about halfway through the book lining, I could not stop crying mm. with every person. And they said, are you okay? And all of a sudden I realized, oh, goodness, you'd think I would have realized this a lot sooner. All of these people have my heart and my, their hands and I can't get it back. And I can't, I can't fix it. I can't change it. I can't clarify it. I'm trusting all of these people with my heart. <laughs> I had to go into the washroom and wash my face and get myself together. Because it is, it's, um, I think if you're writing, you have to write the most honest way you can possibly write. <laughs> yeah. It's really lovely. And it's, it's also encouraging because you just never know. You can, we have to, we show up, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. we can't control the outcome. And that can be both relieving oh. And terrifying at the same time. I think I think that's it as a writer, Emily, is to think about I'm passionately committed to the process or process, as Americans say. <laughs> but I am passionately dispossessed of the outcome. Yes. I completely release myself of the outcome. And you're right. I mean, as much as we think I want the outcome to look a certain way, also at the same time, if the outcome 
takes your words farther than it feels safe to you, that can feel terrifying too. Knowing you, it mm. seems like that, you know, maybe you have had the experience more than a lot of writers of wanting to take those words back in. <laughs> I, I have. I mean, I've had, honestly, <laughs> I've had times where I have sobbed hard into a pillow <laughs> and said, look, why God? <laughs> I, I think sometimes as a writer, we think, oh, the best thing would be if I could put my words out there and they'd be read by tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And at the same time, not realizing that the exposure <laughs> that that can, um, that now is your life, <laughs> um, can feel debilitating in some ways and more than debilitating, just that you really is, you think you really come to appreciation that it's, it's, it's easy to say, you know, Lord, I just want my life to be a living sacrifice. I want, um, I'm coming to the altar with my words and I'm just laying them down there, but to realizing that, you know what, <laughs> that that's for real. That's not cliche. That's not trite. Those aren't just words that we're throwing out there, but he may actually ask you to, to come and just lay your heart bare and naked down on an altar. And a lot of people pick through it and just pray that he can use it the way, whatever way he chooses to use it. But yeah, it goes both ways, Emily. So here's a question. Mm. Do you read your own reviews? Never. <laughs> Have you ever read any of your reviews? I think um, I didn't realize what it could feel like when I first released 1000 Gifts. I didn't have... I didn't have a community of writers around me. I, 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 I have to grant myself lots of grace. I'd never been here before. Mm -hmm. um, but then as people, there was misunderstandings about 1,000 gifts, um, the pain of that. Not, I think as a writer, you have to realize there's going to be people that, that don't like your words, that, that don't like how you express yourself, that don't resonate with the way you write. That's, that's par for the course, I think, as a writer. Um, I struggled much more with, the misunderstanding. I didn't want to do anything that would ever hurt the kingdom of God yes. or the heart of God. And that Emily was, that took me, <laughs> I want to say six months to recover from, but if I'm honest, it took me years to recover from deeply painful. And I think in the way the Lord used that as a gift <laughs> for me just to step back and say, you know what, and you can't control how people are going to interpret the words. And I, I step back and I have Honestly, I still sort of PTSD over Amazon in general. <laughs> we should start a support group. <laughs> I still stress at Amazon. If I have to do anything on my own book page, I never scroll down. Mm. I, I, I need to get a, a, a link, but I never scroll down. And I have, I'm much more careful about firewalls around me so that if right now, if people um, on the blog, we, we'll be sharing um, quotes from people who've been blessed by the broken way. Someone else will gather and collect all of those, never me. Because <laughs> I think I think as much as it goes both ways, again, everything is, <laughs> is both sides. As much as the reviews can be painful, the reviews also can go ahead and, and um, be loud in your head mm -hmm. where that you're all that and you're not all that. You're small, famous, toxic to a soul. So I think you just need to say as much as writing can be just a vertical experience between you and God, pray, pray, pray over the words. And then after they're out there in the world, I think for some people, the reviews work. I just know for me, it's just better. I, it is what it is. And, and I just stay far away. I think that's good advice. I think you're the one who said, I'm going to quote your, your words back to you. <laughs> I don't know. I've had a moment where 
I've been so thrilled with that quote and realized, oh, wait, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you said, in giving the advice about, about the critique, you said mm-hmm. something like, air quote, you're careful not to let the mm-hmm. critique mm-hmm. Yeah. go to your heart or the Arts. praise go to your head. Your head. Yeah. That was you, right? Yeah. And I just think that's so ultimately the danger to the reviews. I think, but, but you know what? That ultimately is the danger to the reviews, both sides that if you, the critique can go to your heart and, and do you want to write for an audience of one or do you want to write what, what tickling ears want to hear? I mean, I think if we want to write prophetically and inspirationally, it's not always, your reviews might not be positive, but you wrote what God told you to write and vice versa. If, if, all of the praise goes to your head, then you start writing for that audience. You start writing for the applause as opposed to writing for what the Lord's calling you into. Um, And at the same time, I think, I think it's wise to have a community around you that you can listen to their reviews of what your writing is so that they can say, Oh, did you think about this question? Have you written into this nuance? So I think having your own safe space, or if the reviews are all such, maybe your firewall, your people around you go, huh, the people, the reviews are saying, and they bring those reviews to you in the most gentlest, kindest way <laughs> to say, maybe this is what's being communicated. Did you mean it that way? But for me, I just need the firewall so that I can just try to write for an audience of one and, and not for, not for applause and not to try to protect myself from critique either. So. That's good. See, that's that's the advice. You mentioned uh, community around a safe of safe people. Mm-hmm. What is that for? You? What's that look like for you? I have um, I have uh, Scott Sauls who's sort of become what I call my online pastor. Um, I think we have our pastors in our local churches that are so obviously <laughs> critical for our spiritual formation. But I, I needed, I also needed someone that really understood sort of the online world sort of understood that there's an ongoing conversation all the time happening in the online world. So for me, that means um, Scott Sauls not only looks at my sections of books, chapters where I'm thinking, can you help me clarify what does this look like? But also just to say, hey, I've been thinking about writing into this. These are things I'm thinking about. Am I missing something? And have him say, oh, this is, this is, these are links of other articles I've read. Have you thought about these aspects, just to have another set of eyes. Liz Curtis Higgs has been a tremendous mentor to me, um, both in blogging and in writing books. So I think it's it's finding people who are further along the path than you. And then I, I just started just before a um, book tour. So we're really new at this. I pulled together four other women. We're all old time um, writers, who've been around the track more than a few times. And I pulled them real close and said, I need community around me, not just for book tour, but for us to, to process what is it like to live in this space? How do we go ahead and, and serve well? What does ministry look like? Um, not in a way to grow ministry, but to grow my own heart deeper into Christ. So I think it's really important to gather your own community and your own people that you feel really safe with, that can be real and honest with each other, and, and have some kind of way of gathering and, and just praying for each other. Because I think we're down in the trenches and this is hard and none of us are meant to be lone rangers. So with I love that you do that. And, and especially with this group of four, the four yeah. friends who are maybe... This is just all new. This is new to me, Lisa. We're going slow, but 
together just to pull close. I think all of us, our hearts were beating in the same direction. We all trying to read deep and think deep and stay on our knees. And it, I, for me, it was important to gather community that wasn't about climbing ladders. I want to be dead to all ladders and go lower to the least and the lonely and the lost. And, and I just think gospel is about downward mobility. So together community that that understands gospel the way you understand it and wants to incarnate the words of Jesus in a in a humble, winsome way. So um, it's been really beautiful. We don't know what we're doing, <laughs> <laughs> but we're pre- pressing into it. And all of us, to, and some of the women didn't know each other, but so feeling safe with each other. So it's it's been really good. I love that you had a need and that you gathered them too. Me that too. is a great reminder for me. And it felt really it felt really scary to do that, Michael, and it felt totally out of my comfort zone. And to be honest, I did it out of a place of desperation. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had really safe relationships with each of those women individually. And I didn't know how they would feel about being gathered together. So I approached each of them individually before I sort of emailed them together and, and just shared with them each sort of, what would you think of a space where we just... We could pray for each other. We could share ideas with each other. We could either go through a book together of the Bible together, or we could go through another book together. We could just be each other's people as we as we try to live lives that are poured out, and, and they were all in. So it's been really beautiful. And they prayed me through book tours, stop by stop. So, <laughs> yeah. How do you talk with them? Do you, t- do you, do you all talk together? Is it, is yeah, it this email? Yeah, this was our thing. We didn't know how we were going to go ahead and do this. So um, we've done um, a group email but i really wanted face to face so we figured out app we had to download that we could then go ahead and um and i just downloaded it and i can't remember the name um that we could all go ahead and at the same time because i wanted i think there's something really important about face to face and seeing people's eyes and hearing people's voices so um to at this point we've only done email but we're all anxious to move to face-to-face video and and at some point they've all said can we all just come to the farm and hang out for a weekend because you know really emily who really it was you michaelin who really inspired that when i saw you had remember you'd written oh i think you wrote at least one if not two blog posts do you remember michaelin about reaching out to say hey (laughs) do you want to (laughs) come and let's (laughs) brainstorm and i think that started to plant seeds we're like hey why do I live in my own little bunker like this or my own little bubble? I could go ahead and reach out to women and maybe they can't all come to the farm right now, but I could start to gather community. And I think Michael and you just modeled that so well. And, and you gave me courage there and you didn't even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's so true. I love that you were on the verge of desperation because you do. So like a, you could teeter over to the other edge and be like, well, gosh, nobody cares to reach out to me. But yeah, it was right after I stopped writing for Encourage and missed you guys. Mm -hmm. So Emily and I talked about it and thought we just need to gather some people that we trust. So smart. I think I think it's about finding people you feel really safe with. Um, that you can tear back the masks and be really, really honest with. And I think growth happens out of those kind of places. And I actually wish I lived next door and we could just all hang out together and that'd be really helpful. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That be Please come anytime. <laughs> well, if you find there's a hog farm for sale real close, let me know. <laughs> well, we were debating. I couldn't remember if you had 600 pigs or 600 acres. <laughs> we, have, we have 800 acres and we have... a. We have 650 sows in the barn. So 
And Liz Curtis thinks that the next book should have been A Thousand Piglets is what she thought I should write. (laughs) 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 I didn't know really if that's what the Lord was calling. (laughs) Oh, that's rich. I knew there was a 600 something in there. Just a little 50 off on the pig front, but... Yeah, yeah. So, Anne, I need to know, well, we all need to know. (laughs) This is what we need to know. When it comes to like, okay, you're going to write your next book or even just like the blog post. Yeah. Can you tell us Mm. what is sort of the the like actual Mm. how Mm. that looks for you? Like, do you work in, okay, here's what we call it in our language. A lot of times we talk about different kinds of time. And so if I have just a little bit of time, let's say today to work on a work on writing, then uh-huh. if it's just maybe like an hour, then I'll give that to maybe writing a blog post. And we call that uh-huh. crack, crack time. Because <laughs> it's hmm. in wait, the wait, call it crack time. <laughs> C-R-A-C-K? Yeah, like yeah. in the cracks. <laughs> you know, like you write in the cracks. Oh, I was thinking like... You don't want to know what I was thinking. <laughs> no, we we'll know what you were thinking. <laughs> okay, so that's crack I time. I was crack. <laughs> no, no, this is Emily and Michael. I'm missing something. <laughs> okay, so that's crack time. But then if, like, if I know I've got to finish, like, three chapters of a book, or if I have a longer form work, then yep. I, might, I might save that for when I have. You ready for this, Anne? Chunk, chunk time. time. Oh, crack and chunk time. Yeah. Like they right. roll so off like, the tongue. They roll off the tongue. So <laughs> everyone knows what that means. So I'm just, I'm just wondering for you in your own like actual, I'm opening up my laptop, I'm writing. What is that like even the actual like practical writing time look like for you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I think, I think I think about things while I'm doing other things. Yes. So when I'm doing blog posts, it's actually helpful for me, which doesn't always work really well in terms of logistically, but, um, to start a blog post and then have to actually be interrupted and go do something else. That's going to require my hands to do something. And my head then can still keep playing around with that blog post and, and see how it should sort of unfurl in a way that it probably, it always unfurls better if I have if I don't try to do it all in one sitting, yes. if I have time to go and do something else and I process it at a different level and I sort of play around with the idea in my head and other things then come. And I think, I think, I think there's just so, I think the best writing sometimes happens when you're far away from a screen, when you're actually thinking about things, um, and sort of marinating. And I think then for, for book writing, Oh, I'm still tr- struggling with PTSD over book writing. Actually, <laughs> really? I think I think book writing, book writing, I always is happens out in the writing cabin, whereas blog writing doesn't always happen out in the cabin at all. Um, but book writing happens out in the cabin. It happens best if I'm on the treadmill walking. Blogging has its own has its own deadlines in terms that you're supposed to blog today. So yes. I feel pressure in that way, in the sense that I don't write, I don't feel with, with book writing. So book writing, I can go up to the cabin, I can walk on the treadmill. And in that, I guess both in both ways, walk on the treadmill allows me to think and to process and 
and I don't feel pressured at all. I guess I, I do. I really do feel in lots of ways like a waiter where I just need to wait on the Lord. And then I just serve the words that he gives me. And that's, that doesn't come fast, but it's a, oh, it's one of the most beautiful spiritual disciplines in my life because so much of my other life I can quick go ahead and do the laundry, quick fold the laundry, quick, quick, quick. And, and with writing, it's not quick. Writing is the way the Lord says, shh, slow down. <laughs> Listen to me. Press your heart up against mine. Go ahead and lay out all of the brokenness and all of everything you're wrestling out. So it is a spiritual discipline. So I think regardless whether it's book writing or blog writing, I think having time away from the screen, whether it's I'm walking and just thinking or whether I'm putting in another load of laundry or washing dishes, I think having time to process, you need to build that in if you're going to write at a a level beyond the veneer level. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. When you finished writing The Broken Mm. Way Mm. and, and sort of all the... Even, even I guess maybe before the first round of edits come, but after you finished the first draft yep. and it was done and you turn it in, what's that feeling for you after? Is it relief? Is it fear? Is it, what is it for you? I think after, I think after 1000 gifts, after the greatest gift, after unwrapping the greatest gift, after the 1000 gifts devotional, after all of those were done, it was great relief. Um, after the broken way was handed in, oh Emily, it was a that one was very different for me, just in terms of uh, the expectations. Um, I so wanted to steward the trust of the reader well. Um, I was so concerned. After one thousand gifts, how do I? How can I ever live up to the reader's expectations again? I really had to just. It had it was more than um, a relief. It was just a. Lord, I'm just, I'm putting this into your hands <laughs> and you're just going to have to fill in all the gaps. And um, after the broken way now, I feel, I feel relief in a deep way that I sort of, it's sort of after, it's like Elizabeth Gilbert after she wrote, she wrote, she wrote, and I'm going to get it wrong. I said, eat, pray, love, or eat, love, pray. See, I don't know these love. things. Pray, love. Yeah. <laughs> pray, love. Um, after she wrote it and it was like, I did feel I, I so resonated. I watched your TED talk a million times. It's so resonated with the sense of I've already like everything I can do now just feels like it's not the right word. Please forgive me, but failure in the sense of how could I ever write something that would resonate like that when it wasn't anything that you did? God did something with it. So it was um I do feel after like the broken way, I can now exhale and I have stepped out from underneath that expectation. And I feel emancipated and liberated and freed to write in ways that I have never been able to write. So I, I think, um, I think as much as I think there's a grace and a gift in writing books for a smaller audience the first time, and then a little bit larger, a little bit larger, um, and growing into that is a beautiful thing. I, I don't think I was prepared at all after 1,000 gifts at all, and it just it has taken me. <laughs> years to be able to go how do I now steward and wash steward these people's trust and wash their feet well and love them well has been um, so grateful there's a community around me to help me step into that because it's been a little overwhelming yeah I, th- I read a, um, a quote once by Al Andrews who said mm. the human soul wasn't made for fame and he's the counselor who has a he has a ministry in Nashville specifically for musicians 
and their mm-hmm. families. Um, and he even gets a specific to say he only meets with um, musicians who are signed with a record label because there are really specific issues that come up when you're in that world. And I resonated so much with that phrase that the human soul isn't made for fame mm-hmm. um, because we see it, we see it everywhere. If, if our soul was made for fame, then the happiest people in the world would be the people who live in Hollywood, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And so it sounds like you have carried that um, mm-hmm. with you. And, and it's almost like you, you've had to bear the stretch marks that came really quickly <laughs> for you. You didn't have, like you said, time to grow into it. And so I just, I, I, you've said a few times like PTSD or sort of having to take mm-hmm. years and sort of recovering from that. And um, mm-hmm. I wonder for you what your experience then of releasing the broken way, mm-hmm. how has that been different then? Um, or did you set anything up on the front end or do you have people to help you say yes and no? Or I'm just so curious because I can imagine you get a lot of requests, um, Mm -hmm. maybe cloaked in, maybe presented to you as opportunities, but maybe they, (laughs) that depends on who's asking Mm -hmm. if you would define it as an opportunity or not. And I just wonder how do you mm-hmm. sort through that? I guess I've asked you four questions, so you can choose which. I want to know the answer to that so <laughs> desperately. Well, because it is. It's, um, I mean, you're you're sort of in that place that a lot of authors want to be. New York mm-hmm. Times bestseller, sixty six weeks, yeah. like all of this, yeah. you know, quote unquote success. What we say in the world is success, and also in the kingdom, success in the eyes of God as you're offering to people what mm-hmm. um, what you've been given. So, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, and I can't remember who said it. Oh, I wish I, it was somebody in Hollywood um, who said everyone should be given fame and to realize how empty it is. <laughs> and I just think um, this time after, the, when the 1000 gifts went out into the world, I remember the day that it released and all of a sudden the excitement around the book. And I really don't understand what happened really. Um, but I just remember gathering the kids all up. It was in January and getting their snowsuits all on. We all went to the woods. It was a terrible winter snowstorm and the snow was coming down and we stayed in the woods for hours. I just, I needed quiet. <laughs> I needed, I needed just to be small before God and with my people. When the broken weight was released out into the world, um, I was in New York city, <laughs> mm. far away from my people. And I really, it feels really vulnerable to say this, but I think, people understand for me personally that the second night I woke up and I just I sat there and I cried and just thought I'm small I want to stay small I think lots of times we think as writers oh if I could my book could do x y or z if I was on a book tour and and I was on book tour and all I wanted to do was be home and wash the dishes (laughs) be home and serve a good meal and light the candles and linger around the table with my kids and with my husband I think um, I think we need to write out of places where there's real dirt underneath our fingernails, where we live low to the ground, where we live, where we can hear the heart of God in in small, simple ways that that are profound because they resonate with other people living ordinary, everyday lives. And I just so I I have really um I think it just it's been such a gift of the Lord to sort of <laughs> live in Canada, which I call the backside of the wilderness. <laughs> and it's just, it's quiet. And it's, it allows me to think and process. And I just think, 
I think it's good to see, to be with readers and to steward their stories. I just think it's really also important. How do you go ahead and just live a small life? Because I think then when you live a small life, it allows the Lord to be exalted in ways that he can't be exalted if you're living a life that's in competition with his glory. Well, that'll preach. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they've been recording. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm really honest, Emily, even the word fame makes me break out into high. Right, right. Yes. I had an interview that Sondra Van had set up in, in New York City. And that interview, the person released that article. And the article was in Voskamp, why she hates fame. And even that just makes me want to puke. Like, mm. anyways, the whole, I really struggle with it. I struggle with the word itself. But how do you go ahead and convey to other writers, you know what? You don't want fame. You want to be faithful. Just to convey to other writers that the ladder up can lead to really empty places and it's the ladder always going lower that leads into the abundant life which is the whole message of the broken way which leads to more more of jesus i just so is it worth it's worth having this conversation it can we can just encourage other writers that god needs more god's stories just for his glory not for us to try to strive or climb any ladders well that'll also preach (laughs) (laughs) i think most of what ann says will preach Yes, <laughs> I agree. Well, Thanks for taking me. I just, I love you all and I feel safe. So there, you're just there to get so it all. That's what we get. <laughs> well, I have one more question and um, two things. One is we asked our hope writers if they had any questions because we knew we were going to be talking with you. Yes, ma'am. And one thing that they said over and over, several people said, I don't have any questions. Please just tell her how much we love her. So there's that. You've got a lot of fans and hope writers, and 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 when we obviously we've we've read you. For, I mean, I we, I mean I remember your blog back when you had the black background, and I mean like yeah, years. Back a decade ago now, eh? Remember? Remember? <laughs> <laughs> we all try not to remember those days for our own personal blogs. It's like oh yeah, way back then. Um, but you're a hope writer, Anne. I mean, what you. The things you write about and the ways that you bring hope—it's such—it's such the hope writer way. We always we talk about how we don't want to sacrifice our uh, meaningful lives for the sake of our meaningful words, but that it's all important. Oh. But but one mm-hmm. practical question I want to ask is—and this is what a lot of the hope writers wanted to know—is who are some of your favorite authors? Oh, so many good authors, right? So many good authors. I I've, I love. Theology. So I love C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and and Tim Keller and Jonathan Edwards and but then I love I love Mary Oliver. I love writers like John Blaze. I like um, so I think I really believe that deep theology, where people have chronic soul amnesia, we're constantly forgetting. <laughs> and God calls us to be the remembering people. And I talk about in the broken way that even though we're all broken, as we can make Christ present, he remembers us and puts us back together again. But I also think that as writers, we have to think about how am I bringing words to the page that people can be remembered? They're broken places, but also remember these truths that I'm trying to convey either in, through story or in a more obviously didactic way. And I think, I think that we don't remember deep truths, deep theology, unless they come to us in an envelope of emotion. It has to be, the head has to connect to the heart. So that's why I guess I read 
for my heart and I read for my head. And then I try to write out of the places where how do I translate this deep theology and incarnate it into story like Jesus tells parables, put skin on it and, and write in a way that sometimes creative nonfiction writers write and the way that poets write in the way that fiction writers write, because I think they're connecting with heart. So I think for me that that's, I'm, I'm constantly, it's deep theology and then more artistic writing. And then how do those two sort of intertwine? Because then I think, how can I get that theology into the envelope of emotion? And hopefully it connects in a way that makes you remember it and then actually live it out. I love it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So great. And thank you so much for your time and for chatting with us. It's been so fun. Just thank you for being a safe place. Thank you for being my friends. I think think we need community and I'm just, I am so grateful for all of your voices. I'm grateful for Hope Writers and that you've gathered writers and encouraged them and edified them. I think we need, I don't think, we don't need to be intimidated by each other. We need to keep inviting each other to keep writing more God stories and the world needs to be filled up with all of the ways God is meeting us and changing us and transforming our lives. And the more words, the better. So I, I just cannot thank you enough for what you're doing for, for people down in the trenches. You know, you know what? I'm meeting God and I want to write it down and you're showing them how to do that. And I think we grant ourselves grace when we get it wrong and we say, we do it. Just keep encouraging each other in our battles and we're all winning many more battles than we realize. <laughs> I'm just cheering wildly from, from the sidelines. Everything that you do just takes my breath away. And <laughs> I love oh, you all. Good. We love, love you, you Anne. Too, Thank Anne. you. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much. Okay. God go with you. Bye-bye. <laughs> She's cheering for you from the sideline. That encouragement and grace she talked about that we all need because we're all in the trenches, you can connect with that encouragement and grace right now when you go inside Hope Riders for $1 for a week at hopewriters.com slash trial. If you love to write, but you're intimidated, weary, aimless, frustrated, you just want to hear from someone who's been there, there's something for you inside Hope Riders. And the Hope Rider Facebook group is a great place to ask questions, make friends, and to get the encouragement to grow your confidence and ditch anxiety. It's a whole community of people to journey with. Go inside Hope Riders now for a week for $1 at hopewriters.com slash trial. In the next episode of the Hope Rider podcast, Logan Wolfram organized, produced, and ran the Alum Conference for years. And then she stopped. Why? The inside story of big dreams and projects and knowing yourself and knowing when you should make a change. That's the next episode of the Hope Rider podcast. And final words of hope from Hope Rider and Voskamp. People are down in the trenches and it's hard and none of us were meant to be lone rangers. Pull close some people whose hearts are all beating in the same direction. Thanks for listening.